Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, is beside me as usual. And today, I'm welcoming my friend David Jones of Diversity of Thought, Inc. to the show. David's a friend of mine that we met through the Leadership Brevard program here in Brevard County, Florida. And David was actually a presenter on the issue of diversity and thought. Now, he was talking about business relationships and uh, just how to think in business, but also you know, with friendships and society. Well, since that presentation, a lot has gone on in America when it comes to diversity. Uh, unfortunately, we, we've experienced um, the murders of George Floyd in Minnesota, Ahmaud Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia, and Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, who you know have died through police action. And as everybody knows, there have been protests and riots relating to this. But David's actually been uh, very instrumental in educating people about this issue and speaking on it routinely. And I wanted to invite him on the show to give his perspective along with me as I listen and learn. And we both discuss this as friends and hopefully walk away more educated and enlightened on the topic. David founded Diversity of Thought in uh, 2019. And like I said, he has been uh, speaking on this topic regularly. Uh, He started it based on his background uh, with Best Buy as a regional sales director in the Southeast. So he's very familiar with being a having to think about diversity and to make yourself a better person and hopefully a better company. So David, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. So, you know, it was interesting when you started uh, the diversity of thought in 2019, um, you know, what, what was your goal when you started that organization? Well, you know, um, diversity of thought Inc. as we call her Dottie, um, Dottie is a learning and development consulting company where we specialize in just leadership and development trainings um, and other assistance around HR needs. Uh, Diversity and inclusion is one of the modules that we have uh, where we also talking about enabling a better culture. Uh, We have a module around uh, enabling growth mindset throughout your organization and even the art and the science of selling. Uh, But uh, I believe that our inclusion and diversity efforts are uh, a lot more (laughs) in demand today uh, than they were before. Um, So Mm -hmm. we've we've shifted to mainly focusing on that for now because that's where the greatest need is. Mm -hmm. Got it. So, um, you know, one of the things that you talked about at the Leadership Brevard uh, scenario or uh, uh, seminar was, you know, sometimes we get in our routine and we we don't really always think of the diversity of thought. And in your presentation, you were saying it's not always about race. It could be about you know diversity when it comes to gender or age. Or And your, your purpose there was saying, you know what, if you have a business and let's say you're in sales and marketing regionally or nationally or even locally, you, you probably need to be open to the idea of having diversity of thought in there because people bring different perspectives that you probably should need to consider as you grow your brand. And, you know, people have different thoughts that might actually make your business better or your personal life better. 110% agree. Uh, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you did take that away from the, <laughs> from the class. So that's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I not only uh, have taught that um, 
and, and I've, I've lived it. Uh, my team was extraordinarily diverse, um, not just in the way it looked, but in who they were, their personalities, their experience, what they brought to the table, how they looked at things. And it made uh, my operation, so what I was responsible for, as far as learning and development for the southeast, southeast of the country, it made my job significantly easier because um, we had so many different perspectives that were brought to the table before we decided to move forward. Um, one thing that I've taught, because I've seen this before, is when you typically lack diversity, what you'll see is a group of people who all look alike, maybe have similar experiences or backgrounds, uh, maybe even talk the same. And the danger in that is, is it means if one person thinks a bad idea is a good idea, you're in the potential of all people thinking that bad idea is a good idea. And that can set you back organizationally pretty far. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's you want to make sure that when possible, you have a, uh, a great diversity throughout your organization on every level, not just you know on the lower level, but on the senior leadership level as well. It really can take your company to another level. Yeah, well, and, you know, I even think about my, where I, I work right now, and, you know, you've got diversity as far as age and different thoughts, because if you think about it, you know, if you don't have diversity in the age group, the people that are older are not going to be necessarily up on all the the hip trends and things like that, especially when you're in sales and marketing. I mean, you know, if you're selling a product, you've got to be able to know that this is what appeals to the people in their 60s and, and 70s, as opposed to the people in the in addition to the people in the thirties, forties and the, and the young people. And it's like, if you don't have younger people on your team, you're not going to get that input unless you're getting it from your kids at home or grandparents. And the other thing too, is that just a succession and continuing the business. I mean, you want to have people who are you know younger and brought up and bring different thoughts because eventually people retire and you want the uh, business to grow and continue and thrive. And you also got to think about your clientele base because your clientele Mm -hmm. base, unless you have a very particular niche, um, like say if you are only sell healthcare to 65 and older or something of that nature, typically organizations are trying to reach people across the spectrum, whether it's age, gender, race. And if you don't have people that can relate to society, then you run Mm -hmm. the risk of... Uh, limiting your ability to grow your business in all aspects and not just linear down one aspect. So I think it's important, um, not just for inside the business and how those things operate, but even just having that representation where people feel comfortable to say, okay, no, I feel comfortable here. Cause that's, that's, that's a very natural and human uh, a trait that we have is you go and you shop somewhere. And I got to tell you, I, I, it's, I'm an African-American man. Um, I've walked into places I've looked around and nobody looks like me. And I started thinking, I don't know if I'm welcome here. And, and it's got nothing to do with anything else outside the fact that nobody else in here looks like me. And I'm like, is that on purpose? Is that, and the fact that, um, that organization allowed me to ask that question Mm -hmm. is dangerous for that organization. So it's extraordinarily important that we think about uh, inclusion and diversity on all aspects um, outside of there is, yes, it is the right thing to do, but there are business implications uh, that can limit your your scope of reach if you choose to ignore your inclusion and diversity in your organization. 
Yeah. So when you counsel, because I mean, you're, you counsel a lot of different businesses and of course through your time at uh, Best Buy as well. When you have a new client come in and they're like, David, come here and counsel us and help us out. What What's the process you go through? Because every business is going to be different based on your geography, their products that they're selling, things like that. You know, I think it goes, I think it starts with uh, what they're looking for. Typically with us, we're providing learning and development solutions for their leadership, um, how to navigate uh, through having more effective conversations with those who do not look like you or don't have the same background as you. Um, right now we're working on, I, I am lucky enough to be partnered um, with a group of learning and development leaders from around the country, uh, from other organizations. Um, and we're working on intercur- intercultural competence training, uh, which teaches us how we show up uh, as far as our own specific knowledge around our culture and the cultures of others, uh, how we utilize skill sets as far as how we listen, how we observe, how we evaluate, um, and then how that shows up in our attitude with how we show respect, how we are open and willing. Um, <clears throat> we withhold judgment. Uh, we have more curiosity. Uh, and, and through that, you'll see leaders are able to connect better with their teams Uh, Through that, you'll see leaders are able to recognize when they do have opportunities and say, hey, I need to recruit differently if I want to see what we call our slate diversity rise. So slate diversity is uh, when you interview for that final candidate pool, how was your slate diversity? How many were women? How many were white? How many were black? How many were Hispanic? Um, The goal is, is to have the best of everybody and then you choose the best from that group of people. Now you know you truly have the best person to uh, move into that position. Can I, can I tell you a funny story? Sure. Um, so when I was at Best Buy, uh, the gentleman who was my boss um, left the company and I applied for the job to move up from trainer to training manager and I got the job. So I was really happy. On my team, though, it was uh, me and four other gentlemen. And we had this kind of monikers being like, you know, the boys club. And that wasn't due to any of us because we didn't hire. That was just how our my, my previous boss set that up. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because when I got the job, I had to replace myself. So they said, oh, you're going to hire a woman, right? And I was like, I, <laughs> I'm going to hire the most qualified person for the job because that's how I'm supposed to answer that question. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, we, we, we opened up the role. Uh, I was not happy with the talent pool that I received from just opening up the position. So I went through interviews. I did not find the person I was looking for. And I will tell you this, as a leader, um, you never settle on talent, no matter how difficult it's going to make the job, because that means I had to do my old job and my new job while still or ask other trainers to fill in while looking for the right uh, candidate. And I learned after I went through that whole process that 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 company had what what's called a talent acquisition team, and we had the most amazing talent talent acquisition talent acquisition specialist in our territory. And I told her, "Here's what I'm looking for. Here's who I have on my team. Here's how we operate. Here's what I need that we don't have." And she got me a talent pool that was amazing, and it boiled down to a African American female and a Caucasian male. And who do you think I hired? 
I think you told this story at Lead Brevard, and I think you hired the white guy. I hired the right person for the job. He was a oh. gentleman. <laughs> well, yeah, you, yeah. Got, you got me there. But I mean, I remember you mentioned he was. No, a- you're right. He's he's the white gentleman. Um, and I joked around. He was uh, seven foot tall, and I said mm-hmm. that's also a type of diversity. Um, yeah. But he, and he was amazing. He flourished. He he moved up in the company. He was 110 percent the right person for the job, and that. That's what it takes, though. It, it doesn't mean when we talk about inclusion and diversity in the workplace, it does not mean hiring somebody because they are something. What it means is, is that there is equal opportunity to find the best of ev- from everyone. And then mm-hmm. we make that decision uh, for what we need moving forward. Yeah. And, and I like that. And um, I got to remember, you know, you, you hire the right person for the job because at the end of the day, just like you said, if you're hiring somebody f- just to check off a box, but that person's not the right person for the job, like you said, that doesn't help your situation because if that person's not doing the job you need done, then somebody else is having to pick up the slack and then it, it's just a mess. So that that's definitely a good message. So, um, you know, I guess transitioning into that, um, you know, the diversity has popped up in the past few weeks, like I mentioned with, uh, the, the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. And um, we've got people that are pushing, and they're like, you know what? This They're really upset about the fact that the way those murders went down, and um, it was terrible. And now it's like, well, d- defund the police, or you know, the, the, the African-American community is not being treated equally. What's your take on all this? Because I know you've been involved in speaking and and advising on this stuff. What What's your take on where we are right now with uh, ra- racial uh, relations in America? Um, so uh, it's funny because you talk about defunding of the police. So not only am I, mm-hmm. I, I am the, the CEO of Dottie, uh, but I'm also the co-creator and producer for a social media show um, called We Are Not Okay. Um, and, uh, which airs every Wednesday at eight o'clock. Sorry. Cheap plug. Uh, <laughs> and no, it's on, and it's on Facebook too, right? It and is, YouTube. Yep, yep. It's on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. and last night's show, we talked about just that as far as the defunding of the police and making sure people understood like what that meant. Uh, because there's a lot of, uh, misinformation that's put out there that I believe is more of a scare tactic. Um, to to keep certain parts of the population wanting to keep things status quo. What I will say is um, when you see the protest, when you see the anger, um, it it's it's a breaking point. Uh, at some point, this had to happen. Um, I hate that it took Mr. George Lloyd's life to make that happen. Uh, but he is not a anomaly. Um, we've seen far too many black and brown people killed in the hands of law enforcement without any repercussion. I got an interesting stat for you. Um, and, I, and I only have this. This isn't fair. I have this because we did the show last night. And so I mm-hmm. don't have the information. Uh, in 2019, according to Mapping Police Violence, which is a research group that that maps police violence, hence the name, um, 1,000 more than 1,000 people were killed by the police. Um, and if you take a look at that, 24% of those killed 
were black, despite the fact that black people only make up 13% of the populations. So that number is a little staggering. Um, the other staggering and a little scary number that goes with that is 99% of the police officers who were involved in killing an individual uh, were never charged with anything. 99%. So there's a fear that the people who are supposed to protect and serve um, have free reign to kill us based off of what we look like. And that can seem very far-fetched if you've never been put in that scenario. Uh, but I got to tell you, uh, seeing it on a regular basis on television, because we do, uh, I have been pulled over. I have had, you know, a police officer walk up to the car with the gun out and tell me to get out the car. Um, uh, I, that is not unnormal. It has happened multiple times. Not recently, you know, thank God, and knocking on wood. Uh, but I've had that uh, happen in my life. And I got to tell you, it doesn't make you feel good when you're dealing with law enforcement. Now, I will, I, I'm in a weird predicament because my, my biological father works in law enforcement. He's worked in law enforcement um, almost his entire adult life um, out in California. So I have a huge amount of respect for people who go into that line of work. Uh, but when you say there's a few bad apples, that's a, that is a profession that you can't afford a few bad apples because my life is in jeopardy, no matter if my child is in the car, because we saw that in Minnesota. Uh, mm. if I'm just walking down the street if I am doing anything at some point, if they don't like something that I'm doing, they have the right to shoot first, ask questions later and still keep their pension and retire and live a nice, healthy life. That's really terrifying. So that's, I think that outrage is showing up. And what I love is in this black lives matters movement, it's not a black issue as far as the people that you see protesting, the people that are speaking out on social media or who are at the protest, it's black people, white people, Hispanic people. You see that this movement has moved across the world in Europe, in Asia. It is, it's, it, and this is weird to say, uh, Ben, it's, it, it, it's beautiful. It's absolutely, and, and I, it's, what they're trying to fight isn't beautiful, but the coming together um, as, as a population across the world is beautiful. So that's why I get confused when you see people challenge it. And I'm like, I, I, you have to feel like you're on the wrong side of history here while challenging this. Cause like the world is telling you like, Hey, this enough is enough. These, these folks have had it pretty bad for a while and we've pretended like it wasn't a thing. Maybe we should actually work on real change. Yeah, I guess from my perspective on that, um, you know, from my audience, I mean, I, I'm originally from Western Kentucky, went down to Miami for law school and lived there for several years as a lawyer. When I moved to Miami, that was really my first. Well, no, in Kentucky, I mean, where I grew up, there wasn't as much diversity, but in, in college, there was more. Um, but, um, you know, the thing about this, of the people that I've talked to who I consider decent people, I don't know one person who has said, you know, it was, who has basically everyone has said, 
what happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor was awful. I mean, awful. And, you know, the consequences need to happen to um, the officers involved with Floyd and Taylor. And I'm glad that the three guys involved who basically they just they chased down Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia when he was jogging. I mean, that that was just pure evil right there. And they were charged with uh, felony murder yesterday. So that was awful. And the peaceful protests, I agree. I mean, that you know, it's time to speak up and, hey, if this is going on in a police department, that need, needs to change. And, you know, I've got some friends and family members who are even police officers as well. And it's like, look, you know, there are a lot of good cops out there, but if there are bad cops, you need to address that. That should not be happening. And maybe it re- results in more training, uh, doing away with uh, the chokehold, that, that stuff. Where I'm seeing people, at least on my end, who challenge it is the fact of the the violence. Um, and the thing I'd, I don't like about the violence is because I feel like, and, and others too, is it's taking away from the message in many degrees of the peaceful protesters who are saying, hey, what happened to George Floyd and Arbery and, and Taylor was wrong. We got to make some changes here. And then people are, fo- are focusing on the protesters and uh, I thought it was interesting. You know, we're both wrestling fans, and um, one of uh, the wrestlers, Titus O'Neil, which I, I think you're familiar with him. I am. He is. Uh, I really respect him a lot. Um, he got on, and he was with Tampa, the city of Tampa, and he gave a speech, and he said, "You know what? What's happening is unacceptable." And as a father of two teenage boys, this is very disturbing. Um, but he was pleading with people to not tear up. Tampa, because it's like when you're tearing up and and doing all this violence and stuff, that's diluting the message and it's tearing down businesses of people, including some in the black community who worked hard for that and trying to get back after COVID. So that's the the pushback I've seen. But as far as hey, everyone should be treated equal and changes need to happen and with officers who aren't uh, acting right, hundred percent on board on that. Well, you know. Rage is going to show up in different ways with different people. Now, what's what's mm. interesting is uh, I don't, I haven't judged um, much of the if the protest goes um, from protest to um, acts of rights inside the protest because just because if you have a few doesn't mean the whole protest was a riot um, unless we see it right. breaking down. Uh, but there's a few things that I'd like to call out on that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you take a look at the, there was a list of people and mugshots of people who were arrested for arson during the Minnesota riots. Uh, they arrested one, two, three, four, five, six, seven individuals. And can you guess what color all seven of those individuals are? I'm willing to guess they were white. They were white. Um, and it leads to ask the question of, were they really there for the cause or were they really there to try to cause that distraction? We don't know, but it's extraordinarily questionable. Uh, yeah. And you see the videos of, you know, people chasing people uh, down saying, Hey, this guy just said he'll pay me 50 bucks to turn over this truck. Like you see that there are people trying to infiltrate uh, to your point to take away the message. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly right. And, exactly and, right. and the other part that makes me sad though is, um, once that got called out, I got to tell you, man, it's, it's, you just really don't see many of the quote unquote riots. And that's the term that was used by some of media, 
whether it's, you know, television or social, um, you don't, you don't really see it much, but the protests are still happening, but the coverage of the actual protests have gone down significantly. And I'm talking about, man, like you're, you're seeing groups of people organizing and coming together in ways that we've never seen before, but it's not entertaining enough for it to, to, to warrant the coverage um, unless some type of window gets broken, fire gets lit, car gets mm. over, something of that nature. So that to me is uh, disappointing. Uh, but even beyond that, I judge more looking at um, how people feel about the whole scenario because you can call it a distraction, but that's up to us if we choose to be distracted. And when I hear people say what happened to George Lloyd is wrong, but what they're doing to these businesses and, and what I teach, what I taught in sales training, because sales, sales training is all about relationship building. And the same thing that I teach in leadership um, which again is all about relationship building, is there's a word that we should avoid and that's but, because the word but negates everything that you said before that to the human brain. Because what you really want to say is what's going to follow. So what I hear is what happens to George, George Lloyd is bad, but that means that that's just being said because you have to say it. What you really care more about is that a organization that probably more than likely has insurance um, is being vandalized or damaged is upsetting you more than watching a man cry out for his dead mother with this person on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah. Like, like that to me, um, it needs to be reversed. Man, it's bad that Target is getting burnt up. But what they did to that man is wrong. So, you know what? Screw it. And, and that to me is is significantly more telling about where we are uh, as a society, because is it the human life or the property that's the bigger story? Is it the human life or the property that needs to move us to change? Yeah, well, I guess from my perspective, because I was probably someone that said said but but I didn't in my opinion I was like I think what happened was awful and and especially well all, all three of them are are awful with what happened to George Floyd and Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor but uh I mean even before George Floyd when I saw that where Ahmad Ahmad Arbery was jogging in his neighborhood and those three guys just chased him down I mean that was and I mean that was absolutely awful. And I'm definitely a person that's like, you know what, that has got to change and people who have racist views need to 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 change. It's it's just not acceptable. Um gosh, I almost said but there. I don't know how to say it. But <laughs> no, I don't know how to say it. And I didn't mean to say that to like because uh, you're gonna hear yeah. me say but so do not try to avoid it. I I, yeah. I teach it, I try, but it's it's uh oh I think I just said it too. It is uh yeah. It's a part of our vocabulary, and we're not taught to not do it. Yeah. I almost said but again. However, however, I'll use that word. I, I mean, I just know that people who are, like, outraged about what happened to uh, with the killings, they're also like, that is, um, 
you know, the, the, the rioting and the looting is not helping the situation either. And to your point, there are people, first and foremost, you know, like I said, the, the racism, people have got to, who have that, they need to learn to not have that because it's not acceptable anymore. I mean, the very idea, like when you and I grew up in the 80s and stuff, like I grew up in, in Western Kentucky, like I mentioned, and we didn't have as much diversity. And when I moved to an adjacent county in high school, I mean, there was no diversity other than male and female pretty much. But one thing in Kentucky is Kentucky basketball is such an important thing. I mean, and you look at those players as your idols and most of our great players at that time, they, they were black. I mean, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. I grew up with the Ozzie Smiths and Willie McGee's and Vince Coleman's and you had your Michael Jordan's and, Magic Johnson. So it's things like that where if you're like, you know what, if somebody did something bad to one of those guys, I would be like really upset about it. And so some of the people you see who have these racist thoughts or whatever, well, they're big time sports fans rooting for those guys if they're on their their team, but yet they want to treat somebody else differently. And it, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. But the people who have that need to to change. Well, and that's a, uh, it's interesting because uh, as much as you are correct on that statement, I 100% agree with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I would tell you that it's something that I and people who I know that look like me do speak about, uh, um, especially if I, if I do get brought out to organizations um, or just different events to speak. And that's Black people are okay as long as we're not invading your reality space. And what I mean by that is, is we're okay to entertain you. Um, And you'll even invite us into your life and get to know us from afar because we bring a skill set or something that you may feel like I'm never going to be able to play like Jordan. Um, So it doesn't matter that Jordan is that good. However, if it's you're a plumber and then there is a uh, um, an African-American who might also be a plumber, that's a little different because they are invading your reality. If you are white and you have um, uh, a teenage daughter or a teenage son who has the ability to bring home a black or brown individual to date, that invades your reality, that that becomes a very real thing. So at the same time that they could love Michael Jordan, they can still hate um, because Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson um, or any really entertainer, athlete or actor can entertain and make me laugh. Uh, And I got to tell you, I got an interesting scenario that happened to how that actually, I feel like saved my life. Uh, I broke the, I got in a really bad car accident in um, this, the really the wrong part of Georgia to be in if you look like me. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And um, so I got towed. Uh, it was raining. Somebody lost control, hit my car. I went spinning, uh, took a couple of rolls down the, down the hill off the highway. And uh, they collected themselves. They took off. So I'm standing there in the rain with the, and this is, I got to tell you, so it's a funny story. This is back when Metro only worked like in the city that you lived in. So that's how long ago this is. 
And uh, so it's horrible because I'm driving back from Florida to Atlanta and I have a metro. So I have a phone that does not work because I'm not in the metro limit. Um, and I immediately rectified that to next day. <laughs> but uh, I got told. <laughs> I was like, OK, so this is why you don't have metro. Um, and so I got towed to a, uh, uh, a shop and as I'm sitting there, I'm looking around and the people are looking at me are like, you are not supposed to be here. And I was like, I am going to die. Like I survived a car. I survived a pretty horrible car accident. I mean, when they pulled that truck in, they said, buddy, were you in that truck? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, God is good because <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, was, it was pretty total. And as I'm sitting there, I thought, I survived that to die here? Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> and uh, they were telling these stories like, oh, you remember when the, that boy was running from the police and he ran in the woods? That boy didn't come out alive. And I was like, oh, these stories are for me. Okay. Because they're very loud. And then they keep looking over as they keep talking about the boy, the boy, the boy. Yeah. Um, I tell you exactly what I did. I looked up and they were watching ESPN and I said, hey, man, who's your favorite football team? And they said, oh, well, I tell you what, I love me some Dallas Cowboys. I said, oh, man, I grew up in Texas. I grew up not a Cowboys fan now, but I grew up a Cowboys fan. Uh, Emmitt Smith was my guy. It's like, oh, that boy could run the ball. And I got to tell you, we talked football so much that they eventually offered to give me a ride back to Atlanta, which I said, no, thank you, because somebody was coming. Because like, no matter how good that conversation was going, I was not getting in that truck. Uh, mm -hmm. However, if you listen to the conversation, every black person that they named was a grown man, but they called him a boy. Yeah. Because it's still a sign of disrespect to make sure that, you, that they know or making sure that they want you to know that they think less of you. Uh, but I will tell you this. Football saved my life. I, I don't care what anybody says. Football saved my life that day. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I was able to find a way to still connect and find some way to relate with these folks who, um, from the experience and the feeling that I was getting hated my existence, but was willing to have a great conversation around the sport. Mm. Yeah. You know, I guess it's a fair, that, that's a, a good point when you said, you know, you're okay with it when from a sports perspective, but if they're, you know, kind of in your territory, but I guess, you know, people are kind of territorial anyway, though, because like, I mean, you know, I've been in areas where when you're not in the click, wherever that might be, I mean, there are clicks everywhere, but I, I understand your point. I, I, I think it is definitely there. Um, let me ask this then. Well, what do you, what's your roadmap for people to try to get back on the right track? Because, for me, it's like, you know, living in Miami, Miami was pretty diverse. And um, it, when I moved down there, I went from an area where I was the majority to an area where I was the minority. And I experienced really, I, I guess racism is the right word, but it wasn't anything too bad. But I mean, you know, being the only gringo when you go and in, in, in the Latin community, sometimes you get some different looks and, uh, you know, they'll go from speaking English to Spanish or things like that. Or if I went to, I was asked to leave a few things, but you know, nothing really too bad. I was asked to leave a few courts when I was in the, uh, 
in the basketball court. So my basketball game went way down. But <laughs> but I've never I've never had you know someone pull a gun on me from a different race or you know any kind of threat of violence or anything like that. But um, you know it's it's one of those things too where I like in Miami you've got a melting pot of so many different people that I think it it, it progressed quite a bit in there. And I've seen where other towns have progressed quite a bit. I don't know so much about with Brevard County um, because, you know, there's not as much diversity here, but I mean, it seems like there's the progress is being made, but I guess the point would be that there's more progress that needs to be made. Um, Any type of social justice, whether you're talking about um, for women's rights, uh, the, um, oh, I always say this LGTB. Oh, good lord! I always say this wrong. The <laughs> LGBT. There you go. Right. LGTB. Okay. Why did I do that? I guess we'll just say the the gay and lesbian community. Yeah, the LGBTQ. There you go. So the the oh. uh, the LGBTQ community, um, um, or the Black and Brown community. When you talk about social justice change. Um, it typically happens, but it happens very slow until, and there's usually some type of catalyst that just says, you know what, this slow pace isn't going to work out for, uh, the group that it's affecting anymore. And for those who can experience something that is extraordinarily important and powerful, um, in human nature, and that's empathy, um, empathy Really, when you talk, when you when you say like, "Hey, where do we go from here?" Um, mm. There's there's a few things that, as far as from a training perspective, um, that we lead with, uh, and we, meaning myself and a few others, and that's uh, we start off with making sure you have the right mindset. So, uh, Carol Dweck many years ago uh, came up with this concept of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And it's very relevant in the conversations that we're having today, because if you have a fixed mindset and just believe that people are a certain way because of the way they look or that they are, you're not going to hear anything that's going to make you feel like change is necessary or reality, or it can even work because you're like, it doesn't matter. It is what it is. Uh, Right. And that's unfortunately dangerous but also unfortunately a reality that we just have to play in. Um, so we start there with how do we get people just having a growth mindset about everything in life? It's not just about race or social issues, just having a better mindset period that things can be better across all aspects of life. If you live that way through all of life, you're always trying to improve and get better. Um, and I'll bet, you know, all the dollars in my pocket I have right now that your life would be better. So we start mm-hmm. there. Um, and then we move into emotional intelligence. And that's just really being able to understand your self-awareness and your self-management so that you understand yourself. Um, and and that's where uh, we shift over to your social awareness and how you understand like what empathy is and how that shows up. And then your relationship management. So how you your conflict management, which is so lacking across the country. I was in a conversation earlier with a gentleman broke it down. He says, you got to think about how bad, you know, how hard this is for us if we can't even handle simple conflict management conversations. I mean, half the 50% of people in this country go to divorce. 
uh, because they don't have conflict management skills. And right now yeah. we're all trying to have this conversation that's, that has some conflicting issues or views and we struggle to have conflict management um, skills. So I think that um, taking the time out to slow down and listen and truly try to understand where somebody is coming from, asking really good questions, um, not only to learn, but to help other people uh, come to conclusions and um, understanding how you show empathy. Because I think if you understand how you show empathy uh, naturally, then you'll know how you can show up in this new era that we're that we're moving into. Yeah. You know, I guess two points on that. Um, you know, the idea of listening and learning um, and, you know, being set in your ways. I mean, you just see it on social media where, um, you know, if, if someone is different than, than someone's opinion, people just lash out. Just, I mean, just lash out. And if you ask a question or you're different, well, you're an idiot, you know, you're, uh, you're lost. And I'm like, you know, that's just not the attitude to have. I mean, I, I guess my example of that was with, with the phrase black lives matter and people, when George Floyd got murdered and they started to do, um, the, um, the black lives matter, there was, I'm not going to mention who it was, but there were celebrities that would post and people would re- reply back and say all lives matter. And there was a, actually a reporter for the Sacramento Kings and a, a player, a former player for the Kings asked him what his position was on black lives matter. And he replied back all lives matter. And that guy got, I mean, a bunch of flack on it, ended up resigning from his job as the announcer and stuff. But going back to Titus O'Neill, one of, because from my perspective, most of the people who were saying all lives matter were like, yes, black lives matter. It's very important. We got to get this under control, but yes, everybody matters. But Titus O'Neill in his speech, when he was with the city of Tampa, he explained that. And um, instead of lashing back at people, he said, look, when you say all lives matter, then me as a, as a black man, I'm taking that, that you're not recognizing that I'm important. And, and he gave the example of the houses on fire. And, and you know, you and I talked about that. And when he gave that, he was like, look, if we say that all houses matter and need water or this or that, but there's a house that's on fire and you're not concerned about the house that's on fire. That's the perception that people were taking when people were saying all lives matter. And I listened to that and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad he said it. Now I understand the position better. And that was from my perspective, so much more helpful. And then more people understood. And they're like, well, you know, now we understand. But yet for the people who were just lashing back out at the other people and saying you're lost and you're an idiot and this and that, that just only infuriated the other people. Whereas when Titus O'Neill got on there and said that he got more supporters and people were like, yes, I understand. I'll play, I'll play ball. I understand the the scenario. Well, you know, and at least for me, well, no. And and I've, I've seen that conversation. So what's interesting about this is, um, God, I don't know if this was three or four years ago. Um, one of the things that was one of the many things that was impressive about uh, Best Buy, I got to tell you, it's a great organization. Um, we were working on the inclusion and diversity for a while. Um, and that 
analogy of the uh, of the houses on fire. I, I think I heard that it had to be three, if not four, years ago from a gentleman that was on the debris mm-hmm. inclusion team, and it helped make things make a lot of sense for the people in that room. And we were in the corporate office of Minnesota, hence predominantly white, because in that area it is predominantly white. Uh, mm-hmm. For them to understand, like when you hear the term Black Lives Matter, uh, every, we, we all know that everybody's life is special, especially to yourself, mm-hmm. because that's that's just it. Like we are the star in our own movie um, mm-hmm. and Black Lives Matter, if you are not black, potentially can challenge you being the star in your own movie. And we are so individualistic in today's society that that makes it difficult. Um, and even in the individualism, we click up uh, for those who agree with, you know, predominantly the way I think about politics or the way I think about sports or the way I think about you name it. We try to align ourselves with people who think a lot like us because, quite frankly, it makes life a little bit easier. Uh, right. And so if you are non-Black and you're in a clique of people who genuinely feel like, hey, man, I'm not racist. I've not done this. I've not done that. So this isn't really about me. Why do I have to hear this? Why do I have to see this being thrown in my face? Uh, because I've never called a black person this word. I've never, you know, uh, like done any wrong to a person of color. So what does this have to do with me? And mm. that's where it becomes a challenge in this conversation that we're having because it has everything to do with everybody. Mm-hmm. We genuinely want to be this great nation that we claim to be, the way that we are supposed to be set up. Then we need to address all of the elephants in the room and say, you know what? There have been some systems that have been set up, some things done to some people that have been wrong, and the playing field is not level. So how can we make that different? And it and it starts with the majority of us coming together and saying, we're going to do something about it. Because sitting out is still part of the problem. Not using your voice. And I'm not saying that everybody has to go protest. Um, there's different ways that you can be an ally in this conversation. Um, voting is one. If you see that there are people who don't have everybody's best interest in mind, if you see that there are people who obviously can be bought, and that's a scary thing, but you could pay attention to all of this, um, mm-hmm. then you can be an ally by doing something simple as a, a quiet ally can vote, you know, out people who don't have everybody's best interest in mind. That's that's one way. Or you can go out and use your voice. Mm-hmm. Or you can fund and support businesses that typically you wouldn't necessarily fund or support. There's so many different ways to get involved, but you have to want to be able to do that. And that, that, that goes back to what I was saying around a growth mindset. It's if you're fixed and you're like, I'm not a part of the problem. And, or if you're like, this isn't a real thing or whatever that is, it's, it's probably going to be lost on you. Um, which makes me sad because as I said earlier, no matter what ugliness that the media tries to show us, um, how we come together is beautiful. What we can Mm -hmm. accomplish can be beautiful. Um, and I think that we can reestablish 
unequivocally unchallenging when we say we're the greatest nation in the world. I think we have the potential of really being able to become that and showcasing that in its entirety, not just in certain aspects. Like I, I truly believe that. Mm. Well, and if you think about it, um, you know, so many people are sports fans and you can in a way look to sports as be, uh, to be a model for some people. When you got all these guys together on the baseball team or the football team or women um, on a, a soccer team or basketball or whatever, the goal of the team is to win. And, you know, at the end of the day, you work together and I don't think it really matters. You You want to win. You don't you want the best for everybody where everybody goes to a university of Florida game or a Kentucky game or a Miami dolphin game. And you got all these people rooting for the same team. So how, when you leave the stadium or you leave the, the basketball arena, then all of a sudden you go from being allies and teammates and stuff to being, to being haters. It, it doesn't make sense to me in that regard. But you know, the thing about it is that is frustrating for me to watch is you know, we see all this stuff on the news, whichever news station somebody watches. And, uh, you know, they'll say, yep, you know, we're here to work together and make change and stuff. And and they don't do it. Um, they're, they're, everyone's interested in keeping their power and keeping their, um, you know, their, their status and things like that. And they say, yeah, we're going to do this and that. And we're going to raise all this money and do all this and that. But unfortunately it seems like a lot of leaders we have in this country don't want to do it. Uh, and it's from both sides of the fence. And it just, for me, it's very frustrating because I don't think this should be that hard to, to get people to treat each other better and get along and stuff like that. But it sure seems to be difficult. It, you know, and it's, um, what's sad is, um, Yes, I, I agree with you that we can take a look at the thing that unites us the easiest, and it's a great starting place. And what I love is is watching athletes taking this opportunity to use their voice, um, and because they have they have a certain amount of power with their platform and with mm. their skill set. And what I would love to see is um, instead of the back and forth of should we play, should we not play. I would love to see a coming together that says, hey, here are two issues. And, and there's so many issues out right now. There's, there, you know, systematic racism is huge. What we see that comes from that are um, uh, there, there are things that come from a, a system that has been designed to oppress black and brown people. Uh, police brutality is a symptom of a system that is flawed. So when you talk about fixing things, yes, we need to fix police brutality and the murdering of black and brown people by the police, because that, I, again, I, I love the police officers. Uh, I, 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 there's a lot of police officers in this area that I have met. I think they're fantastic. My father is an amazing officer. He's been an amazing um, uh, man that has worked in that field, for, as I said, for almost his entire adult life. Uh, so that needs mm. all of those things definitely need to be solved but there's that that's just one of the symptoms of the overwhelming problem and if we could see like our nba players come together and say hey until this issue is fixed until this issue is changed until this law is not only changed but it's regulated and enforced we won't play 
I think you would see change happen significantly faster. Uh, and what I appreciate is the climate is allowing them to be more outspoken today than what we saw before. Because uh, Colin Kaepernick is a clear example of why it it's fearful for athletes to come out and, and take sides on issues. He took a strong stance on the issue of black and brown people being brutalized and murdered by the police. And he took a knee and he explained it was no disrespect to vets. It was no disrespect to anything. Uh, it was to, to say that there's an injustice and that was his way of making sure that he was going to bring light to that injustice. And, you know, people who didn't like that, who um, some who might be okay with the injustice uh, will find ways to spin things however they want to spin it, no matter who says what. I saw many vets come out and say, we don't think he's disrespecting that at all. We fight for the right for people to be able to take a knee. Um, to be able to mm. say and speak freely in this country. Um, and then you saw others that spun it around and say it's disrespectful to the flag, it's disrespectful to the men and women. No matter what Colin said, he'd come out, he, he, he worked with veterans, he sat with them, we saw it all happen, but no matter what, it got spent a very particular way to where he was out, like he was out of a job. He was a starting quarterback. And, and you can say what you want about him as a quarterback. Like I'm not, I'm not going to tell you he's the greatest quarterback that's ever played and he didn't get a job. But I promise you, he was better than a good chunk of starting quarterbacks that were in the NFL at that time. And he was definitely mm -hmm. better than probably every backup quarterback <laughs> that was in the mm -hmm. NFL at that time. And they kept him out. And now you watch Roger Goodell like, Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Is he now saying this? And he's now saying maybe teams should give Colin Kaepernick an opportunity. And I read today that they're serious, that teams are seriously thinking about bringing them on. And I said, well, you should pay attention because now that Roger Goodell has come out and said that, and now the teams are like, okay, the boss is cool with us now bringing him back in. Now they're doing it. And and that's a, mm. that, that's a little concerning. Um, yeah. Cause he's always had the talent. And if you're an NFL team, yeah, think about it. Your job as an NFL team is to produce winning football because it's about driving revenue, whether it's TV rights, jersey sales, all that. So you do you think about the people that they have excused for the action yeah. that they have done to come back and still play football. And this man took a knee and they blackballed mm -hmm. him because he was saying black people should stop being murdered. By the police like that was the thing that was too much to play in the nfl not not uh not rape or violence or or any of that or drugs all that mm -hmm. is cool because if you can help us win you'll get a shot somewhere but speaking out on behalf of black lives and hoping that we can one day get to a place where we are not murdered this uh uh because what feels like the color of our skin by uh, law enforcement um, agencies that are supposed to protect us. That was the thing that says, nah, that's a little too much. That'll get you kicked out of the NFL. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, what was interesting about that um, with, with Kaepernick is there's, there have been some NFL coaches that have come out and said, yeah, you know, we were, we, um, we looked at him. We, we, we should, we should have hired him. I'm like, you know, that, that just sounds Stupid! Why are you saying that? I mean, if 
if you want to win, I mean, maybe some people are like, hey, you know, we don't want to touch this from a PR perspective or whatever. But if it's like, but to come out and say, yeah, we should have hired him. I mean, that doesn't make Colin Kaepernick feel any better. But, you know, we'll see what happens with him because the NFL did a complete 180 <laughs> on that position. Um, you know, and kind of sticking on the the subject of Colin Kaepernick, I want to get your opinion on something that's relating to um, an employment too. You know, everyone says, all right, I have the First Amendment right of freedom of speech. I can say what I want on my social media. I can say this and that. And if you are against it, well, you're violating my First Amendment right of freedom of speech. But technically, the First Amendment right of freedom of speech only protects the government from censoring you. And my issue is like, well, what about with employers? Because, you know, there are employers out there that – they may not want their employees touching politics with a 10 foot pole because they're like, you know what? I'm selling shoes or um, shirts or whatever to, to everybody, regardless of their political thoughts or social values or wherever. And then there are some that, you know, they don't, but I know employers do look at that. Um, what are you seeing or what are you even, um, when you discuss this with employers, what's your take and advice on, on this issue? Because it's a, um, a thing where you kind of don't want to be too draconian with employees and stuff, but yet, you know, now you say something wrong on social media. I mean, there was a woman who was quoted in the Orlando Business Journal a couple weeks ago saying, you know what, if you see somebody who posts something on Facebook or Instagram and it's offensive, well, you need to, um, it's your duty, or I think she used duty, but the bottom line is you need to contact their employer, say, and this is what your employee posted, and um, that person should be fired. So it's it, it's got real consequences out there. I, so I will tell you that I am 110% around the aspect of having the freedom of speech, um, uh, the, the freedom of protest. I, I, I'm all about those freedoms. As individuals, they do have to write, and, and their right is not being taken away from them. As a business, mm-hmm. you have the right to want to be represented right. in a very particular way. You have the right mm-hmm. to make sure that the people who work for you have your best interest and your values in mind. Um, so I am all mm-hmm. for those folks who say, hey, when you see somebody post something, send it to their job. Because quite frankly, the job has the right to know who they truly, genuinely have working there. You know, when um, and it's funny you talk about this. So we teach interviewing skills. Um, for mm-hmm. not for the people who are being interviewed, uh, but for organizations and how they can interview better. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I talk about is, is if all your interview is, is that one hour to one and a half hour opportunity where you ask some questions, get some answers, those questions are usually pretty generic. I got to tell you, you are like just playing almost Russian roulette with <laughs> um, of hiring. Um, if that's just a one, you know, one time you're going to have a touch base and then decide to bring that person into your family um, to be a representation of you and your organization uh, based on mm. our conversation. And think about it. Like that's that that was typical and still today is typical in some places of how people operate. Uh, and I got to tell you, the best things that I've seen is uh, uh, when somebody when you interview folks, it's not just the one touch. It's like, okay, so we had this interview. Let's bring you back in and let's walk around and let's have introduce you to people. Um, let's truly find out who we have the potentially that's going to work for us. And then also let me make sure 
I give you the opportunity to know me as the business owner or as the hiring manager and what the company's values are and what my values are if you're going to be reporting to me because you have to make this decision if you want to work for me the same way if I want you to work for me because you know it's, it's an open door policy. I can't force you to work here just like you can't force me to hire you. So the more in-depth detail you can get into truly getting to know and understand who you're hiring, um, the better. And if you do have that person that is uh, uh, saying things that you feel like are against what you believe, what your company's values are, and quite frankly, could hurt your business, then you have a responsibility to the rest of those employees to the community that you serve, if you have stockholders, to those stockholders, to weed those people out so that they do not affect your business in any way, shape, or fashion. Right. Well, I know at least when I was in the law firm setting, um, and this was, I mean, gosh, I left there in 2016 to go in-house, and I mean, the, the political climate has gotten worse since then. But it is like they would send out emails and say, look, We are not going to send law firm emails around talking politics one way or the other because, of course, you'd have some that would, you know, be doing fundraisers for the Democratic Party or some doing fundraisers for the Republican Party, and it it got so divisive with some people that you know the firm didn't want to have to have the the going back and forth. And I, I don't know, maybe they ended up donating to both sides, and you know, people can donate to their political uh, parties as they personally desire. I don't know that the firm donated. But I was just curious as to how companies are taking that because the thing is, is people do have a First Amendment right to say what they want to say. But yet, like you mentioned, the employer does have a right to kind of set the tone as to what is acceptable communication for that business image. And I know even at at my company now, I'm pretty darn sure if I was – you know, being constantly political one way or the other and just a radical one way or the other, something would probably be said to me because generally they want to try to be neutral because we sell to everybody. And I I was just kind of curious as to what some of these companies are doing, but yet to the point about, um, you know, reporting somebody through um, their company or whatever, I mean, if someone is... You know, let's say somebody says they're supporting Joe Biden and somebody just gets so irate about that that they want to report. And, you know, they're saying you got you've got to call this person in because they're supporting Joe Biden or or Hillary Clinton or whoever it might be, Trump, whoever. I mean, as long as someone is not like being nasty about it and just stating their opinion, I'm like, wow, I would hate for someone to lose their job over that. But. I don't know. It's a kind of a wishy-washy thing. That's why on social media, I'm kind of like posting sports and podcasts and about my bulldog Um, and wrestling. I I think the company would be in dangerous waters if they were to let go of someone because of who they were supporting politically. Um, If it was just a, a a measure of support of, hey, this is who I'm going for and here's why. Uh, if I'm a conservative, here are my conservative views, and here's why. Like everybody has the right, and 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 one thousand percent can do that. What I've seen recently um, is 
when people have opposing views on some of this, the subject matter at hand, um, that's when it gets a little interesting. So, for example, yeah, I saw uh, a person post, I hope those protesters don't come here because if they do, there's going to be more knees to necks. That is a absolutely evil and disgusting and despicable statement. Agreed. Uh, and and so did their employer. <laughs> so yeah. that person was let go because that is a little different than saying, I support this candidate or I support that candidate. Now, what I will tell you is um, I do push the envelope uh, or I try to have organizations push the envelope to get past certain ways of thinking because we talk about as an organization – and, and you might have heard this before, and, and if you work somewhere and if you're a manager, you've probably said this, I want you to bring 100% of yourself to work. You know, it, it's a statement mm-hmm. that gets said in business. Um, so, man, let me ask you, what percentage of you is a Christian? What was that? What percentage of me is a Christian? Yes. I'd say 100%. Okay. But we're not supposed to talk about religion at work. So how do you, if 100% of you is a Christian... How do you show up with a hundred percent of yourself by having to leave something that is a part of who you are in your existence? And it's the same thing. Well, that's a fair point. It, yep. It's the same thing with politics. So when you try to end, when you say don't talk about politics and religion, I got to tell you that means you can't talk about almost anything that's happening, <laughs> you know, outside the workplace. And it's like talk about sports and wrestling, David. Listen, <laughs> if it's me and you, we, we could talk about wrestling all day, all night, man. But. Uh, but, you know, you want people to truly be able to be themselves and not feel like they have to hide who they are. Then you have to create a culture that allows this, a culture where people feel open to be able to have conversations uh, and they feel yeah. safe to have conversations because we start then looking at understanding that it is OK to be different. And we get curious about the, the, the differences and not afraid of the differences. And when you can enable that type of environment, uh, you'll see your productivity goes up. You'll see... Um, the measurement of how happy your employees are will go up. You'll also see how happy your customers go uh, are go up because I got to tell you, if your employees are happier and they're more productive, I, it's it's almost a direct line of correlation that your customers will be more happier and they will spend more money. Um, and, right. and it starts with the environment. I know that there's this, you know, what's the secret sauce? What's the sales strategy? What's this? What's that? If it's people working with other people. The first people that you need to make sure that you're creating the best environment for are not the people coming in to buy. It's the people who they're going to be buying from, the people that they're going to be interacting with. And if you can create that environment where people truly, genuinely feel like, hey, you know what? I am not only appreciated, but I am celebrated here. They won't leave your company. They'll bust their behinds for you. Um, They'll grow in your company. And your company will grow, um, and, and it's 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 all possible. But it starts off with leadership getting into that mindset that says, "You know what? We need to be better. No matter where you are, even if you're good, we need to be better." Yeah, I agree. And I I think the other thing too, you know, we've mentioned a few times the importance of listening and learning, because I mean, if you chill speech, which I mean, that's what people on multiple sides try to do if someone disagrees with them they try to to chill the speech you know you're stupid you're an idiot this and that 
But people can have differences and have a discussion and you might learn something out of it. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, I understand that point of view. But the thing is, is if you're chilling thoughts within a business or within your marriage or, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, if you don't allow someone to express themselves in a, a respectful you know, uh, way, then if people feel like they're stymied and they they can't voice their opinion, there is no room for growth, then they get frustrated. And then you're not getting the best of that person. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, yeah. Anytime you uh, try to, to, to shut down the conversation with those things, like, oh, you're just stupid or everything else, I, I joke around and say, well, that's just, you, you just realize that that person lost the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it wasn't a win-lose scenario, they, cho- they chose to lose the conversation. I joke around because I say, if you're a parent and you say, because I said so, typically sometimes your kid is beating you in the conversation. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, unless they just keep saying why for no reason. But if you're, if you don't have a really good reason outside of because I said so, uh, you're probably losing that conversation. Um, and, and I will tell you this, I have lost the conversation to my four-year-old on many occasions. She is brilliant and she is logical and it is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, she may may have more common sense at four years old than a lot of people we see in leadership. Um, well, let me ask you this, kind of transitioning and, and starting to, to wind up a little bit here. You know, it's kind of like, where do we go from here? And, you know, we've talked about the the change needs to be made and the decision maker, makers need to listen and things like that. But, you know, the world of entertainment is going to have a, a big impact on this. And um uh, you know, kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on this. Um, and just for the audience members, Dave and I did talk about this before, so we're, we're prepared. Um, in my experience, um, you know, for these people who are racist and use terms that are not acceptable anymore, one excuse is, well, why can't I say that word when the other group is saying that word? And... You know, Dave Chappelle, I like Dave Chappelle, and I like Chris Rock. And in fairness, I mean, I'm a big Rodney Dangerfield fan, but when I went to go see Chris Rock, it was one of those that, like, he was just amazing at stand-up. And I watched Dave Chappelle's special, 846, based on um, uh, George Floyd having the knee on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. And I didn't disagree at all with Dave's position. He was talking about how this was wrong and this is we got to get this under control, but he repeatedly used the N word. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, Dave, why are you using that word? And, you know, if somebody hears that, who's not black, they're going to, and they're have a racist view, they're going to be like, well, why, if they want us to stop, whether it's a white person or a Latin person, if they want us to stop using that word, which I don't like to use the word anyway, because I know that that my black friends and black people don't like it, but there are people who do use it, and and they when they use it, it's for meanness. But they'll say, "Well, you know, why are they using the term?" And Jay Williams, the ESPN announcer for um, basketball and commentator, he said, "You know what? As a black man, I don't think that you sh- that term should be used. Period, because." It's a it's hate, and if we want to get everyone to not use that word, we need to lead by example. But then other people have have something different. I was listening to uh, 
uh, it was a YouTube video. It was actually yesterday, and a woman asked this uh, this speaker that, and he was like, "Well, I'll explain it to you like this: When my wife says that she's going to go out with her bitches and hoes, if I turn around and call her friends that, that's not a good idea for me." <laughs> so he was using that analogy from how when that term is used within the black community, it means something different. So is this something that really needs to, this word just doesn't need to be in entertainment at all? Because my concern is, all right, when I was a substitute teacher back in law school, I had some black students who used the term. And then there were some white students who were like, well, why are they, they're saying, why can't I say, I'm like, we're not going to use that term in the class. But what if like some kids are just playing out basketball or whatever and they use the term and like the kid my nephew hears or whatever and then he's thinking well if they're using it then it's okay and then he gets ingrained that it's okay and despite the fact that his parents may say no you don't want to use it if he's hearing other people use it he's going to think it's okay and then it's like then someone's going to say it to somebody to be mean and then we're, we're back to where we are i mean what's your take on that so um I think <laughs> I, I, I think that there's two sides to that coin as it relates to the black community when you hear that word should be abolished completely and we're not going to use it versus, hey, we're going to take this word that was used against us and we're going to take the power back and we're going to use it ourselves. Um, and, then, and, and, and then there's also just some people, uh, there's some black people who just use it ignorantly. Um, now, I won't go to the black people using it ignorantly. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the Dave Chappelle using it versus the Jake J. Williams saying, Hey, we should just, n- none of us should use that word. If you take a look mm-hmm. at our history, at our, at our recent history and recent history, when I say that, I mean like from slavery on, because that's typically what we get taught in school. Um, you have mm-hmm. to go out yourself to genuinely learn about black and African history prior to slavery uh, on your own, because that is not something that we are giving freely in our education system. Uh, mm. So in our recent history, you see a very unique trait that that comes from uh, the black community, and that's whatever you gave us, we will find a way to make it work in our favor. Uh, and you and I had this conversation, for example, Pork at the time was given to slaves because it was considered a filthy animal. It's dirty, it's nasty. Here, give it to them. And the slaves found a way to make almost every single part of that pig taste good. You got pig's feet, you got chitlins. Like, who, who else would want to eat the intestines of a pig? But when that's all you have, you find a way to make it taste so good that the people who gave it to you and said, we won't eat this, actually started eating it too which is pretty impressive. Um, and so that's, that's just, it's, it's in the nature of how we survive these atrocities or hardships that were put in front of us. And that word is, is a part of that, that, that adoption of that word that says we're going to take it back and make it ours is for some people a way of empowering it and taking it away from, um, uh, a, a group of people who used it uh, in the most evil way towards us. So I, I understand both sides of, hey, it should be gone because it's an evil, disgusting word that just doesn't have another meaning. 
Um, and I was thinking about this, like almost every other word has this other meaning. Like you said, bitch, yes, that could be used bad, but that is actually a female dog. Ass is bad or is yeah. like, so, but like that word was just created purely. It's a, it's a hateful word. Um, I, I used to, uh, I'm about language and about speaking because, you know, I, that's what I do for a living. And when I had a team of trainers underneath me, you know, I would always tell them every word matters. You can't waste a single word. And um, there is no good or bad words. It's just intent on how you use it. Uh, right. However, that word, though, that's not how it was created. It was just really a bad word. Now, um, what I would tell you about your nephew is, uh, oh, before I go to your nephew, I will say this. I do hear people. My nephew is not racist, by the way. No, no, no. No, no, no. And, you, and, and I'll come back to it. It'll make sense. Um, yeah. So when I hear... Uh, like I've even, I've had white people say, well, how come I can't say it? I, and I look at them, I say, well, why do you want to say it? What is it about this word to make you just want to say it so bad? Like, what is that in you to where it's just killing you inside that you can't say that word? And it's really interesting the reaction you get, because I think it becomes very telling to them that this is a weird battle that they're fighting. Like, <laughs> like I don't know why I'm fighting the battle to want to say this word. Um, I had a white friend says I, that made me take a look at myself and say, what is it within me or about me? That's wanted to use this word. He had to do a serious reality check. Um, that I, I appreciate the honesty because it's always, it's always intriguing to me when I hear white people say, why can't I say it? And I'm like, what is it about it? That makes you want to say it so bad. Like, it's like, if you just say it, you're like, oh, okay, I did it. Like, <laughs> and it's like, really? Um, yeah. so that, that's typically the question I ask, but beyond that, to your question, as far as like, but your nephew, what do you tell your nephew? What I would say is, um, you sit your nephew down and you explain the word and the consequences of where that word came from and the consequences of what can happen when he says that word. And if you do that, you will experience on a slight scale what we have to do with our kids about sitting down about how to survive in this world on what you do when the police pull you over and the things you can and cannot do on when you want to go jogging and running. I no longer jog at night. I no longer jog with for a certain time. Uh, And hell, even through that video showcases that it doesn't really matter when you jog. I now, this is a very true statement that that I'm telling you here. I was standing outside my house and there was a white man jogging around the neighborhood and I have no idea who this man is. And my first instinct mm-hmm. was to stop him, to ask him, when the next time you go jogging, can I run with you? Because I'd feel safer. Mm-hmm. Like those are the conversations that we have to have. So what I would say is if, if you are in an area where the N-word is being used, if, if you've got kids that are going to be at the... Uh, at the, at the park where they're shooting hoop and that word might be used or something of that nature, sit down and have that conversation with them. Sit down and have to seriously showcase to that child what this world truly is like. And then I think there will be an understanding of what it is that we as black people have to go through on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. 
By the way, I, I want to clarify. I just used my nephew as an example. He's never, to my knowledge, used the word or whatever. I was just the example of if there were kids, you know, seven, eight-year-old kids playing basketball or whatever. But, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, people, I guess, just need to realize. I mean, I'll be honest. I've never heard a white person use that term as a compliment. I'll just say that. So, I mean, and. You know, I just don't think the word should be used and go and see what happens. But I know that people always say, well, it's in rap music or hip hop or whatever. But I guess the moral is just if you were going to use it, you were probably using it as a, in a negative context. So you shouldn't use it and go from there. But, you know, continuing on with um, entertainment and stuff. I mean, you know, we, we talked about with Jimmy Kimmel uh, this week. He had the issue come up where in 1996, 98, 2000, he did skits with Carl Malone and this and that. And, you know, you see it with statues being torn down of different uh, people in history or whatever. They'll say, you know, this is something somebody did 20 years ago or 50 years ago. And it just seems like we need to be, con at least mine, consistent. And like I, I mentioned before, I mean, I'm not a huge Jimmy Kimmel fan from a comedy standpoint, but my attitude on it is, hey, he admitted that it was wrong. He knows it's wrong, I'm, and he's not going to do it. And really, if you think about it, e even as a Christian, it's like, hey, everybody makes mistakes. And the goal is, is you've got to learn from the mistake and go on and grow and progress because – I'm pretty sure that everybody would look back at what they did when they were 20 years old or 25 and say, you know what, I may not have done that now that I'm 40 years old or something. So I think as a society, you know, we kind of need to encourage people to look past their failures, admit that there was a mistake and grow from it. But yet what I see in society is it depends on who says it. And I don't think that's fair. And I, I don't know. I just think that until we – kind of come up with a treating everybody equally in all regards, whether it's race or, you know, whatever, you know, try to have a uniform behavior. You're always going to have these kind of issues and say, well, you know what, this person was treated different than that person. Like Jimmy Kimmel is treated better than what happened to Kevin Hart when he said a, a statement and was um, against the, the gay and community and then he stepped down from the Oscars or like, well, you know, should Jimmy Kimmel step down? And if not, that's not fair to Kevin Hart. I mean, what do you kind of see the role with entertainment and how they can be a, a leader in um, more better diversity and better racial tensions? Well, I, th I think you hit um, one of the nails on the head when you say that it, it really does depend on what you look like because the treatment does seem to be a little different. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, what, one thing that – uh, from studying diversity and inclusion um, and even just how the mind works uh, from a learning and development perspective, when we talk about empathy, it's significantly easier to empathize with someone who you can relate with, who you can relate to. So if the majority of the people look like Jimmy Kimball, it might be easier for them to forgive Jimmy Kimball because they can say, I can see him making a mistake because I can see myself making a mistake. Uh, but if the minority makes the mistake and you don't necessarily see yourself with that perspective, then it's a lot harder to forgive. Um, so it, it, it gets a little tricky as far as, you know, Jimmy Kimball. Hey, listen, I got it. A, 
probably not a smart skit, although it was a very long time ago. Uh, right. And, and I will tell you this, when I saw the skit, I laughed. Like, not recently. I'm talking about back then when I saw the skit, I laughed. Because uh, I, I remember the skit. A, I did not like Carl Malone. So, See, I like Carl Malone, so I didn't like the skit. See, that is a, I just I couldn't stand Carl Malone. So for me, I was like, ha-ha. Yeah. Um, but as far as him stepping down, he's got the national attention on him. He's got a huge platform. I think that sometimes as a society, we're so quick to try to strip away if somebody makes a mistake instead of saying, okay, well, let's mm-hmm. see, now that you've been caught and you say that you apologize, what actions are you willing to take to showcase that that's real um, that can significantly help the cause of whichever you were disrespecting? And I want to use an example that's going to be a little controversial, and that's Michael Vick. Um Mm-hmm. What Michael Vick did with his bad news kennels um, and, and running high stakes gambling and what they did to those dogs are absolutely and utterly disgusting and wrong. Mm-hmm. And he served his time for it and he's come out. And when he came back out, not only did he serve his time, but the man became a crusader for like animal rights, specifically dogs rights. And it, and no matter how much he's done and a lot of what he was doing, he didn't do it out in the public eye. He didn't say, look at me. He didn't let stuff leak. Like he's, he's done a lot in that uh, community for that fight. And no matter what people will still say, yeah, but you're still an evil bastard and I'll never forgive you. And it's interesting because usually if you see the people who are so anti cannot forgive him whatsoever, they don't look like him. And we don't yeah, and, and and we don't talk about that aspect of it because we all know killing dogs are wrong. We know that. I, I in my opinion, mm-hmm. killing animals are wrong. I'm I am i am not a hunter. I, I think it's just for me, I I'm not mad at you if that's what you want to do, but I always think it's not a fair fight because Unless the animal gets a gun back, it's it's not fair to me. But <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if you know, you do you. If that's yeah. what you're gonna do. Uh, however, um, we know that that what he did was wrong. But to your point, it feels like at times, if so certain celebrities look a particular way, they're able to get away with things significantly faster. Drew Brees, uh, you know, what, what Jimmy Kimmel did was many moons ago. Not in this climate. Drew Brees made some comments very recently in the climate that he had to know what he said was not going to go over well. And all he had to do is come out the next day and say, hey, I was unaware that what I was going to say. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, I've I've heard him articulate himself on so many occasions. Uh, occasions. He is a smart individual. He's a well-spoken individual. He is a thought provoking spoken individual. So there's no way that that wasn't truly how he felt. And the apology feels like it's just a backlash thing. And I, and that I have a problem with because you see people turn around and be like, Oh, he was sorry. He didn't know. And that excuse bothers me. Uh, the unaware I didn't know my bad uh, just doesn't feel, doesn't feel real. Like Jimmy Kimmel says, hey, man, I, could, I, I, I apologize. Like back then when we, we took a look at it, that was funny. And it was even 
more like, more acceptable then than it is today. But that doesn't mean that it was right. And I apologize, especially for anybody who has to see that now, because you got to remember from their uh, for their line of work, anything that they do stays, you know, like, yeah, well, you go to work. I was going to ask you, like, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, with the comedians, I mean, you know, what, what are the comedians supposed to do now? Like, I mean, if I go to a Chris Rock show or a Dave Chappelle show, I mean, I guess it's going to be okay for me to laugh. I mean, I guess it's going to be okay. But what can a what can a comedian do without you know everyone saying, "Oh my gosh, you're you're so wrong." I mean, comedians are kind of supposed to. First off, if you go to a comedian show, you know it's it's lighthearted. I mean, there are some that it's it's a soapbox, but for the most part, it's it's lighthearted, and they kind of push the envelope. I mean. With the way things are now, it's like, what's what's it going to do to the comedy world out there? I think the comedy world is safe because if you're a true comedian, you operate with a rule in mind. And that's that there's no subject that is off limits, but you don't target people unless they're a celebrity that puts themselves in a position to be targeted. But you don't mm-hmm. target specific individuals like, hey, you black guy in the audience, let me tell you how... I feel about X, Y, Z or, Hey, you woman in the audience. Like I don't, you don't typically target that way. Um, I don't believe that any subject from a a comedic standpoint should be off limits because you get a lot of truth tellers when it comes to comedians that are able to put that out into the atmosphere. Um, And truth is relative depending on, you know, how you feel. It's it's how many people agree Mm -hmm. if that's your truth. Um, I, I don't think that, comedy is going to suffer because if you're a smart comedian, you know how to still um, speak to the dialogue of what's happening today without pointing and making somebody feel a particular type of way. And to your point, if you go to that show and you feel some type of way, you're, you're probably just doing it to get that rise because you know what they're going to say. Like it's, especially if it's a known comedian, like if you go to like, mm-hmm. um, you know, small hole in the wall comedy club. You have no idea who these folks are. These aren't people who've made it. Uh, and somebody gets up there and they're just, they're just doing something that's like really God awful, horrible. They're making fun of like Jewish people in a really horrible way. Yeah. You have the right to feel right. type of way. Um, but if you go to a Chris Rock show or if you go to, uh, um, well, I don't know if he's doing shows now. I know he had, yeah, I know he did get in some trouble, but back then a Louis CK show, um, you had, yeah. to, you had to know what type of comedy you were walking into, and right, I agree with that. And, and then understand that, like it's it's telling the story of what's happening in a way that can at least make you laugh, but also if they're really good, make you think. Hmm. Well, and I think guys like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, they do. I mean, I'm, I think their comedy is good. It's just and and not when I was mentioning Dave Chappelle, I mean I I agreed with what he was saying. It was just I was, you know, the use of the term. But now I know. See, I've been enlightened here. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just we live in a society now where, look, there are some people that they wake up in the morning, and there's some politician or out there or some comedian that that person can't turn on the light switch properly in that in that person's mind, and they they just have their their half their day is on Facebook doing rants about all this stuff. And I'm like, good gosh, it just, 
you almost have to unfriend those people. It's like, I don't want to deal with all that. But, um, you know, it's, it's a thing where at the end of the day, I just feel like we need to kind of be like, look, you need to listen with people, give them an opportunity to talk on things and not be st- stuck in your your own ways and hear people. Now, sometimes people on the other, other side, they're going to say something. You're going to be like, man, that person's crazy. And that might be, be the case. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of need to not just sh- shut people off all the time unless they're just completely out of line. Well, you know, there's um, something natural that we have inside of our brain that creates a flight or a fight um, scenario. Right. And to to try to hone that in is is a skill set that you have to practice because the moment something is different than the way you feel or or, or think about something, that triggers to fight or flight unless you know how to reel that back and say, well, time out, let me understand more. And, and right. doing that like, well, hold on, let me understand more is so powerful because think about it. You, if, if your trigger for fight or flight happens, the conversation is done. Like if that moment you feel that's like danger, danger, you're either thinking I got to get the hell out of this conversation or away from this crazy person, or I'm about to go 1000% to let them know how they're wrong and how I'm right. I'm going to fight this. And now we're not talking to each other anymore. We're seeing, you know, what you typically see when you cut on, you know, our, our media outlets now, and that's just people screaming at each other. And, uh, oh, yeah. and it's the loudest. And, and, and what's scary in society is we've left the smartest people are correct. And we've come to this place where the loudest people are correct. And if you are the loudest and you can, and, and you can shout the most, that for some reason today elevates you as a truth teller. And that yeah. is extraordinarily scary because <laughs> it's like, uh, that's, that shouldn't be what we hold as, you know, why we believe somebody, but that's, you know, sadly where we are. So, uh, like you said earlier, you know, listening to each other, slowing down, um, truly finding a way to, to, to understand perspectives is so powerful. It could be such a great place of healing as it relates to like how we continue to move forward as a species. So David, um, you know, one of the big things that's, um, been talked about in this uh the the past few weeks with uh, everything going on is the issue of defund the police and uh you know a lot of people are um who are with the protesters are saying we want to defund the police i know in minnesota that was a big thing and the city council voted to do that and they're like you know what we need to have a change in the police department and um take funds from the police and start with other organizations to deal with things. And then there are other people on the other side of the fence that are kind of concerned about it because they're like, well, wait a second, if we don't have police, you know, we don't want a George Zimmerman out there. What They're fearful for their protection. So um, I know you've researched a lot of this and spoken a lot about this. So what's, what's your take on the defund the police movement? So, you know, we, it's, it's interesting because this was the main point of topic, one of the main point of topics uh, that we had last night on the We Are Not Okay show. And we wanted to make sure that people understood what the terminology means and, and not let um, others who are may have something to benefit from not defunding the police muddy the conversation. So defunding the police is basically 
looking at it like a divest and invest model. So it's divesting money from local and state police budgets and reinvesting them in the community's mental health service programs, social service programs that can do jobs that police aren't necessarily trained for or, quite frankly, probably shouldn't be doing. Um, and it was such an interesting conversation because uh, we had an ex-law enforcement officer who uh, joined in on the panel. And uh, he even stated that, yes, law enforcement needs to be checked on some point because there are jobs or requests that are being asked of police that, quite frankly, um, should come from another organization. Um, so that's what that means. We, it, defunding police does not mean that we want to get rid of police. That that's the, by far means nothing of that nature. If you hear people mm-hmm. saying to abolish the police departments, then you can have that right to have the argument. But when you say defund the police, it's saying, hey, we need to maybe defund and demilitarize the police because, quite frankly, when the police show up in military gear, um, that might be unnecessary. I know a few years ago they had this issue or this opportunity where you saw, um, I believe this was in 2010, 2011, somewhere around this time, where we realized all of a sudden there was just all these police forces had like these mini tanks and they were like, why in the world does the police need a tank? Um, something that interesting came up last night is uh, throughout uh, uh, the world, if you look at other nations, utilizing tear gas like in an act of war is is banned. It's considered like that's a no-no. Uh, through United Nations, they say, no, we don't do that. That's not approved. Yet here in the United States, we do that on our own domestic soil. That's crazy to stop and think about that. So there are some opportunities that we can see that policing can get back to de-escalating scenarios and keeping the peace versus um, escalating the scenario by how they show up um, and uh, shoot first, ask questions later that at some times we have cops do, but we just can't afford bad apples. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ben, you and I were talking about this and I was mentioning from, you know, last night with Drea, uh, can you imagine, imagine this scene, there's a doctor or a few doctors that, you know, every now and then they just kill people. And, um, for no other good reason outside the fact they just kill people and they say, Hey, but you got to understand our jobs are hard. It's difficult. It's stressful. Do you know what it takes to have to know all of these things to save these people's lives? Doctors' lives matter too. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that would fly over well <laughs> with the population? No, I mean, if the doctors know, if the doctors <laughs> letting people die, that's not going to fly too long. And there, and there's a reason. A, um, and, or if, well, one, you can already see the fact that, like, no, we'll we'll strip a doctor of their license. We'll do get them sued for medical malpractice. And at times we'll even throw them in jail. Like we will hold them to the highest of accountability. But one of the reasons that is, is because everybody has to deal with doctors. Everybody should be going to get a checkup or if something is wrong, that's who you go see. But not everybody has to deal with law enforcement. So because it's, I may never have to deal with them in my lifetime. So that's got nothing to do with me. But the reason why I feel like I don't have to deal with you is because you're protecting and serving me. So I'll let you skate by. You get a pass. You're allowed to have some bad apples. But those bad apples 
means that I may not come home at night to my family. And that's absolutely terrifying to me as a black man. I'm thinking like, no, 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 no. They're, they're like doctors and pilots. This is a position that you can't have a few bad apples. Yeah. You know, the thing that was interesting um, on your show, We Are Not Okay, I know JD had an idea. Uh, JD is one of your colleagues for the audience, by the way. But um, he was saying, you know, hey, we, we can't really have bad cops and and when you guys had your show, you know, you were by no means saying all cops are bad and, you know, definitely for the, the police, the good ones. But uh, we got to do things for the ones that are not doing their job properly. But he was saying, he said, you know, this is kind of a radical idea, or he thought it was, and saying that he thought that the police should be paid more because he's like, they are doing an extremely dangerous job. You know, you pull someone over with a tinted windows, you don't know what's on the other side, this and that. But his point behind that, was that if you're paying the the police officers more, you're going to get more people for the jobs, and you're picking the from the creme de la creme there, and then you know increase with training and things like that. So that was his solution. And when I heard it, I was like, well, you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, they always the government always says, well, they don't have the budget to to pay, but if you're getting the best of the best in there, then under JD's theory, you're you're weeding out the people that really are not qualified and you hopefully get out the bad apples. But uh, I thought that was an interesting take. And, you know, he and I have had this conversation and because I know he's going to listen to this, I'm going to, I'm going to state it um, uh, here on the Ben and Rodney show. And that's, he stole that idea from me. He was just, you really? know, no, <laughs> no, um, no, we actually both agree on that, uh, but with parameters. So um, my father works in law enforcement. Um, I've had friends that work in law enforcement. I have friends that work in law enforcement. I've worked with local law enforcement here, uh, who are amazing women and men. And what I would tell you is it's, it is a dangerous job. Um, and I do believe that there is an opportunity, um, that we have in front of us because to what JD was saying on the, we are not okay show is if you only pay a certain amount of money, you're only going to get a certain, um, uh, select few of people who actually apply for that mm-hmm. position because others will look at it and say, hey, I might want to protect and serve. I might want to do that, but not for that little bit of money. When I have a skill set to do something else, I'll right. take that other choice. Mm-hmm. And at times you might be, might be, and this is not all cops, but you might be left with, well, this is all I have to choose from because of the way the pay structure is. Now, when we say, Maybe we should take a look at more pay uh, that we also in that same breath will say we also need to take a look at uh, the background checks, uh, the psychological exams, because they're not consistent across the country. In some places, it could take up to four to five hours and, and they weed out a lot of people. And in some places, it's a 45 minute questionnaire and hey, good, you're in. Um, and that's a problem. Um, I've even stated that I would love to see a lie detector test. And I'm not saying that you can't beat a lie detector test, but I promise you a lot of people will feel significantly at more ease if there was particular questions to ask how people truly feel um, in that lie detector test when they're interviewing for a poli- uh, for that job. Because quite frankly, if you're against it, why, why would you be against that? Like, Why would you be against finding out if somebody has hatred in their heart for a group of people? Uh, <laughs> you know, like there, there should be 
nothing about that that says, nah, that'd be wrong to do. Because what we're trying to do is put the best people in that role to truly, genuinely take care of everybody. So, and then the training needs to be significantly improved. And I don't mean the tactical training. I mean, um, the emotional intelligence training, the uh, the empathy training, the the de-escalation training, so where we can get back to a law enforcement agencies that show up to de-escalate the situation and not escalate the situation. Um, and we can get to a law enforcement agency um, that is not a shoot first scenario. And it's, you know, you shoot because that's seriously what it dictates. We have technology that exists that could showcase if the officer is in the right or in the wrong with body camps, but we have to have true regulations uh, and, and consequences when you have consistent errors going on in body camps, when there's uh, circumstances that the, the police are in question with how they operate and how they showed up. So like there, there's a lot of changes that come with that. When we say they should get paid more, there is not just a higher grade level in pay, but a significantly uh, more uh, extraneous way of, of be, being able to become a law enforcement officer in this country. Um, and, and defunding can be a part of a way of how that works. And I know that might sound insane when you say defunding and you're talking about paying them more, but if you take money out the budget for certain things that might typically be unnecessary, you could reallocate those funds in ways that make the most sense. Um, Camden, New Jersey uh, I just implore anybody to look up what their police uh, department has done. And I got to tell you, they're proving right now that if you make these kind of, uh, dare I say, drastic changes, the, the benefits are uh, can be astronomical. Um, but I do want to get into something that you did state. Uh, and this is something that we very we had a, we had a, a very good conversation last night on the We Are Not OK show. And that's. Um, the difference between a good cop and a bad cop. And I stand by this because in Atlanta, Georgia, you had, you know, those, those officers shot that man, you know, while his back was turned. Those are bad cops. That's bad practice. That's not what you're taught to do. Um, there, there was a lot of wrong in a lot of what they did to get to that scenario. Those are bad cops. And somebody said last night, well, it's not like all the cops in Atlanta are bad. And I said, well, yes, they are. And they looked at me and they said, but you just said that not all cops are bad. I said, this is true. But those officers that one night last week, I think it, it was, matter of fact, it was a Wednesday night. The reason I um, know that is because we were, we were actually taping our show when it, when it happened. When all those officers walked off the job in solidarity, that means they picked a side and if you have a bad cop that does a bad thing and you pick the side of the bad cop, you're a bad cop. And we have to be able to admit that. Like if there's good and bad, you get to decide what side you're going to be on. You get to purposely make that decision. And as, as troubling as it is for me to say is they were bad cops because I got to tell you, if I and I and I used to been I used to live in Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Atlanta was one of the favorite cities I've ever lived in. I've often said I wish I can go back to Atlanta because I just I do miss it. I really do miss it. Now, I'm not leaving Brevard. This is my home, but I do miss Atlanta at times. But I got to tell you, if I was living in Atlanta, I would be terrified because if anything 
was ever to go wrong, I'd be terrified to call the police. I would not want to call the police. And I think that's in, that's insane to live in a place where I would say, because of the way that I look, I'm terrified to call the police because I don't know if they're going to show up with my best interest in mind. And they chose that side. So I think that's um, when we talked earlier, like in a year, what do we want to see? I want to see in a year where you have cops holding cops accountable. You know, if you really want to hold and, and we had an ex, ex law enforcement officer bring this up. He said, you really want to hold them accountable. You really want to see cops hold cops accountable when a bad cop does something bad and 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 that lawsuit comes out. Have it comes from the police pension. I mm-hmm. guarantee you those cops will stop other cops from doing stuff. They'll be like, hey, because you messing with my money. Uh, I related it to, because they said, have it come from that one cop's pension. I said, no, it needs to come from all pensions, and here's why. So all pensions in that department. And I said, no, here's why. And I related it to sales. So I, I've, I've worked in two environments, a commission-based environment where the sales individual is all about themselves. They're in control of their own money. They get commission. So I don't have to work with you because you don't got nothing to do with me. I'm responsible for my money. You're just in my way. I just got to see more people to you to get that money. And it's a very cutthroat, doggy dog, not the best environment, sales environment to work in. I've also been on the other side of where you have people that got paid a, a salary, whatever that is. And an hourly wage and bonus as a group. So what you did did affect my money. And you know what? People work together better. They train people better together. Um, They would assist. They would do everything that they can to work in unison because you know what? The team either wins together or loses together. And you saw people holding people accountable from uh, the the part-time salesperson holding the full-time sales associate accountable. It didn't matter because everybody was responsible for everybody. You, you, you dip into a, a department's pension and I'm telling you now, you'll see a difference on, on this police brutality uh, that we're seeing today. Yeah. Well, that, that's a fair point. Um, let me ask you this though. I was talking to um, a, a colleague and he had a relative that was a police officer and he was saying that his, his relative was like, I think that that guy was like, I mean, he was pretty close to retirement age and he was like, you know what, with all the stuff going on, if it's something that's potentially risky, he's like, I know I'm supposed to be a cop and stop every um, crime I can and things like that. But if it's something where, hey, if I do something wrong and then all of a sudden uh, there's media, that this and that and, I, and stuff, it's like, I don't want to do anything to risk my pension. And so... Yes, I mean, I, I completely see your point, and it's it's a valid p- position. But then, is it something where maybe cops are kind of hesitant to to fight the crime and take that risk due to the big financial loss? Because I mean, obviously, that w- would be a deterrent for them to not do something like what happened to George Floyd. But I don't know, you know, and I, I really don't know the answer to that. I think that if we got to that state where that was the case. I think that push against body cams or more footage or more um, technology out there to showcase what is happening. Mm-hmm. I think the push against that that's tip, that sometimes comes from the law enforcement side would go away. 
because then they would understand that it's in their favor. I think today yeah. is, I still think today that it is in their favor. Um, but I think because, and I think that showcases why that there is a problem and why we're having such a huge movement centered around it. Because uh, quite frankly, why wouldn't you want to be able to showcase that you're doing your job well? Hell, most of us would love to have that. It sucks because most of the time we do our job well and nobody's around to see it. And we're like, man, you know, like where was my boss right, right there for that sale or for that interaction or for that moment, whatever that is, like how come nobody was around to see it? And imagine if you were able to showcase how good you are on a regular basis should be something that you implore and like, yes. Yes, I welcome this because I want to show to I want to showcase to the world that when I interact with a citizen, no matter what the citizen does, I always act accordingly for what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to show up. Why you would fight against that is mind blowing. But I believe if we were at a place where it cost them money anytime they did something wrong, they'd probably be asking for more footage. Yeah, well, I, I think you're right on that because I, I know some police. Rodney, my bulldog, just barked to support that. I don't know if you heard that. I, I appreciate that support, Rodney. Yeah, Rodney's all for it. He chimes in every now and then. Um, but I, I – wait a second, Rodney. All right, you, vo- you voiced your opinion. Do you need some, to say something else? So, But I think that's it. that is a good point because I've, I've talked to some police officers as well. Um, I'm pretty sure my, it may have been my brother-in-law talking, but they were of the position too that, yeah, you know, the more body cam coverage we can have, Hey, it's just more evidence of what actually happened out there. And, you know, Hey, they're like, if I'm doing stuff right, I've got the video coverage to back me up. So it is interesting. I just know that when some people were hearing defund the police, I mean, I guess it's who, who you hear because there are some people out there that were saying, "Yeah, we don't want police and this and that." And then there are other people who weren't, who were saying what you were saying. And what you were saying, in my opinion, makes a lot of sense because. Um, but at the end of the day, people want to know that hey, if there's somebody robbing my house or that you know a rough neighborhood and stuff like that that they have the police protection there because especially in a lot of the lower income and rough areas, they want more police protection there. They just want good police protection. And, um, and then from the police perspective, they want to go in and the good ones want to do a good job and stuff and not be afraid of like, Oh my gosh, you know, they don't, you know, just watched every, every move. And if I do one little thing, well, someone's going to say I'm, not doing my job, but I really am. So it's kind of a, a balancing act, but I just know that, um, you know, unfortunately there are some bad apples out there that we have seen that have not done the right thing. And it, it makes a lot of people look bad. Well, and, and I'll tell you, um, um, working, um, with community leaders, working in, um, underserved communities, um, and, and, and black communities, uh, they would push, and and I'm going to genuinely speak here. So, So I'll say some will push not for more policing, but for more programs that cause the police to be unnecessary. And so how do we get more youth programs, um, 
because in these underserved communities, we say underserved, that goes back into the conversation earlier, like systematic oppression, um, redlining, like there's so many different things that have happened to create these communities to be what they are and where they are. And if we can have programs that are designed to help um, um, uplift people out of out of particular scenarios or situations or stop those uh, trends from happening where we need police to come there, then police coming will be more welcomed because it would be for the uh, uh, the occasion when things go wrong versus the consistent policing um, where it's nonstop, just like a bad relationship. Um, and what I will say that I've seen some of the law enforcement agencies do here, and I will say this before they were doing this before George Lloyd, and that's um, really getting out into the community, getting to know the community um, that they're, that they are designed to protect and serve um, and trying to get in front of the youth um, as much as possible so that we can stop this cycle of mistrust um, and this cycle of um, dislike and sometimes even hatred. Uh, what I yeah. will say, it's more, though, than just getting in front of the youth. I think the, the larger challenge is getting in front of the, the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds who have suffered through the either actual police oppression through experiences or the visualization of it that we see on a re- on a, a repeat basis uh, throughout the media, that's where the distrust is going to be the the largest. And we're talking to our kids. Our kids mm-hmm. see how we are. And we have to talk to our kids. We have to talk to our kids so that they know how to, how to quote unquote act accordingly so that they can come home at night until we can get past that on all, like they can continue to work with the youth, you know, all they want, but that's, you know, who are the kids going to believe the, the police officer who shows up every now and then and says, Hey, let's shoot some basketballs or, Hey, you know, all cops aren't bad or their, their parents who, when they see get pulled over by the police are physically shaking or who are mm-hmm. terrified, who are yelling at their kids, please just be quiet. Don't say anything like this is a reality. Uh, So until we can get those relationships better and that understanding uh, and more black and brown people to become law enforcement officers. uh, So we talk about community policing, like to where people who are in our community look like us that are actually policing us. Like these Mm -hmm. are the areas of opportunities that we have in front of us uh, that when these things happen, I think we'll see a change in how the relationship between the black community and police officers truly can't what they, what it truly can be. Yeah. And one last question on police, um, the defund the police before we get to our living the dream questions, you mentioned community policing. Can you explain a little bit about what is more, what is meant by that term? Because some people hear community policing and they think, okay, we're going to have mall cops out here in George Zimmerman's and, you know, situations where, um, people are not really trained and that, and that, that scares the crap out of some people. Um, is, is that a wrong interpretation or, or not wrong? It's so it's, you know, if you, if you define it, it's allocating police officers to certain areas. So they become familiar with the local, the local people in that area. Um, so that if somebody does show up to your door, it's not a stranger with a gun. It's, 
you know, hey, oh, that's Ted. Ted, you know, Ted is, you know, the off. He, I, we all know Ted. Ted's cool. Like, um, we expect Ted to show up if something goes wrong. Um, uh, it, it's really just trying to get officers to operate in the same area just to create a stronger bond with the citizens living and working in that area. And if you right. do have good officers that are uh, doing so, then you'll see that the relationships are much better. The, 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 the danger is if we don't reel in and find a way to control and stop the fact that there are bad officers out there, we could put a bad officer in a community that is really brutalizing that community and, and, and nobody's like, there's not like a cycle of people to come through so we could talk to somebody else about it. So like, that's where the danger comes in. But no community policing is just really doing that, like almost assigning officers to become a part of the community. Sounds kind of like, you know, back in the day, Andy Griffith and Barney Fife and Mayberry, they were the community police. Everybody knew their name. And I, I think it's a, I think the concept as, as many of our concepts that we have in this country, the concept is beautiful. Uh, the practice has potential, but there's a lot of gray area that we have to eliminate so that we can get to this space where um, we would feel comfortable with who is actually uh, policing the community that we reside in. Yeah. You know, and I guess it's something too, um, you know, I mentioned Andy Griffith and Barney Fife, but, um, you know, it's kind of easier to do in the smaller towns. I mean, I think it would take a little bit more time, but it definitely is something that could be done in the bigger cities and stuff. But yeah, well, I'm glad you um, expanded on that because even when I heard community policing, I was like, you know, I didn't want a, a George Zimmerman out there. Because the other thing too, that kind of concerned me about it is, um, you know, the whole idea of defunding the police is like, well, hey, if we don't have the police, you know, your celebrities and all the millionaires and stuff, they're going to have their their private security people and stuff like that. It's your regular Joes in the lower income areas that they're going to suffer and and they need the police help. But um, the other thing that concerned me about it is, you know, as well as I do living in Brevard County, there are people here that have a gun or want a gun and they have no business having a gun. They're not trained. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of scary about that. And I'm not anti-gun or anything. I mean, if people want to have their gun and, you know, all that second amendment, right? No problem. I just like it when people are trained, um, and that, but I'm like, you know, if you don't have the police and people feel like they need to step up their own personal protection, I'm like, there are going to be people out there that aren't going to do things the right way in training. I'm like, that just did, didn't really set well with me from a, a safety standpoint. So, see, I feel better just by having you on the show. <laughs> I have listened and I have learned. So, well, let me ask you this. Um, before the Live in the Dream, we, um, you know, a lot of discussions going on right now. A lot of things are in the works. We don't, hopefully, they will get, get done. Um, so where do you want where do you want to see and, and realistically see where we can be in a year? In a year, um, uh, better police reform around the country, um, more uh, funds allocated to social justice programs, so that we could see neighborhoods that have been 
typically uh, held back, given the opportunity to uh, show up on an even playing field. Um, uh, in a year, a cure for this virus that's going around is keeping us socially distant. Because, uh, you know, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, um, and, um, you know, back to not what we were, because I never think we should go back. So when people say, I want to go back to normal, I say, ah, I challenge that logic. Um, we should always grow and progress and find ways to get better. And we should never try to go back mm-hmm. to the way things were, but we should always look ahead to say, how can we get better? Um, mm-hmm. that's why I like, uh, that's why I love Star Trek watching it because it was always about exploring and trying to find new ways to improve and bring peace and happiness and be better. And I think that that's what we should be all working towards. So in a year, I would hope to see that plus the, um, Ben and Rodney show, um, taking off, uh, in a way that's just like, oh my God, this guy is, I don't know what's the largest a podcast can be. But I want you to be like the next Howard Stern without having to be Howard Stern. How about that? Yeah, I don't think I would look good with Howard Stern's hair. (laughs) So, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, And before we get to the live in the dream questions, I want to plug your website again. That website for Diversity of Thought, Inc. is www.doti.us. And uh, tell the audience where they can listen to your show, We Are Not Okay. Yes. So you can listen to We Are Not Okay. Uh, It's We Are Not O period K period every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook. You can go to uh, Facebook and like our page. We Are Not O period K period. And then you will get the alerts of when we uh, uh, what topic we're going to talk about that week. And we typically try to also let people know who's going to be on our panel. So last night uh, we had uh, Kathy Pace, who is the mother of a gentleman named John Sanders. John Sanders is a 24-year-old young man who went to a protest in Cleveland uh, where uh, tensions got high. And as he was walking away, a police officer shot him directly in the face with a beanbag gun. And unfortunately, John uh, lost his left eye. And... Mm. um, uh, he's doing better. He's home. He he is out of the hospital. And John is tough. Um, he is not only going to survive, but he is going to change this world. But I have to tell you, it sucks that a 24-year-old kid um, has to be physically different now for the rest of his life. Yeah, uh, wow. And so uh, we tried to <clears> – <throat> so Kathy was able to come on and share his story. We were able to share their GoFundMe page, and, and that's what – the purpose of what our page and our show really is, is we want to give a voice to those folks around the country um, who want to speak up, um, who who have something to say, not just personally, but at times on the topics that we're talking about and um, really just give people a choice, a chance for the voice to be heard. What I, what I love about the show. And if you, if you do tune in, um, we'll challenge you on this. People in the chat are very active in the show and, and we communicate a lot with not just the people on the panel, but people in the chat as well. So please, if you have an opportunity, check us out. We are not O period K period uh, on Facebook every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Got it. Now I've, I've listened to a few. And of course, the one when you guys were on there with uh, Florida Today, I was like, man, this is really good. And I learned a lot. So 
All right, so now to the living the dream questions. I always ask my guests a few questions about how they are living the dream. So my first question for you is, we just celebrated Father's Day. I know you have a young daughter at home. What is your favorite part about being a dad? And tell a little bit about your daughter. <laughs> um, so I have a little genius. Um, she uh, She's four years old, but uh, she confuses us because she'll just say things at times where we'll look around and be like, how old is she again? Um, and I, I don't know if I could pick one favorite thing. I, I'll tell you. Um, uh, uh, one of my favorite things that happened on Father's Day. So I woke up and, uh, as we were talking, she was like, it's Father's Day. I was like, yes, she was happy Father's Day. And I was like, thank you. And she goes, okay, so since it's Father's Day, we'll, we'll play, um, and, and we'll play with like how I want to play, but because it's Father's Day, um, you get to come with me too, as if I wasn't already invited. So it was still more about her. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but she is, uh, she's just absolutely brilliant and amazing. And I got to tell you, like the greatest thing I have ever done on this planet, um, is, is, is her. She's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's a great story. I, I, I know from Facebook, she looks like she has a lot of personality and character <laughs> that she does. Yeah. All right. Next question. Um, besides um, someone from your immediate family and of course, Rodney and me, um, pick up, pick a few people that if you could have lunch with anybody, who would you like to have lunch with? And they can be living or dead. Dave Chappelle. Uh, oh, I mean, interesting. I, I'm, I am um, a fan of his lifestyle. I'm a fan of his comedy. Um, I, I think just the fact that he is so down to earth for being one of the most known people on the planet. Um, and what everybody says, and it's, and I think it's true because it's like a really consistent conversation is that he's humble. Uh, and he's always like, he, and he seeks to find out more. Uh, I, I would love to just sit down one day and have lunch with that dude I, I think it'd be one of the funniest experiences I ever have, but I think I would learn so much in that moment. Um, I actually have a Dave Chappelle story for you. So um, this was, I guess it was about the time, because he was in the the Nutty Professor movies with Eddie Murphy. Yes, he was. And uh, so anyway, and I guess his first movie role, he was in Mel Brooks' um, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, he was. But uh, with Carrie Elways, but um, uh, he was a chew. Yeah, a chew. That's right. So anyway, um, it's summer of two thousand three, and in, in Louisville, because uh, that's where I went to law school, and we were studying for the bar exam, and we got out um, for the day. And Dave Chappelle was in town with Comedy Central to do a big show. And there was this big tour bus parked right in front of the hotel, and you know Dave Chappelle's photo was uh, on it. So we just knocked on the the. Uh, the bus and Dave opened the the door. Oh no! A huge puff of smoke came out. It was just like whoosh came out. Anyway, so he signed our autographs. I have like an autographed Dave Chappelle photo. I've got to find it. I know I've still got it. And so he autographed it and everything. And uh, it was like, yeah, you guys come to the show. We're like, yeah, we're going to the show. And it, it was pretty cool because he was this laid back guy. I mean. Um, with a puff of smoke, he was definitely laid back, but it was funny, you know, and, and, um, so that is interesting that you picked Dave Chappelle. 
Well, All right. Well, that I, would I be am, funny. I'm absolutely uh, jealous right now. Yeah. I got to find that photo. I know I, know I still have it. Um, all right. Um, tell me some of your favorite TV shows and movies, past or present. Ooh, well, um, so it's funny because I don't have a name for the show. Uh, we do it. We do it. We, we actually go live every Tuesday and we talk about comic book uh, movies and we usually rank them or rank the actors or the characters or things of that nature. So I, I'm a really big fan of uh, comics. And so I'll say the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, minus a couple movies here and there, like those, those are really up there for me. Um, uh, the, the last two Avengers movies are just by far to me, absolutely brilliant and amazing. It just really are. Uh, I, 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 I don't, I'm not that person at the movies that claps or jumps up or says, yeah, or whatever, because I'm like, it's a movie. They can't hear you. But I was completely and utterly that person for those two movies when, and this is spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this movie, this is your own fault. But in Endgame, when um, Cat picked up that hammer, I about jumped out. I almost jumped out my seat. Like I, like I've, I've never been that way in a movie. So um, that that's there. And then you know when it gets into the TV shows, you know honestly, man, I I love comedy. So stuff that can make me laugh. The Good Place was really good. It made me laugh. Um, Big Bang Theory. Uh, it was really good, smartly written, made me laugh. Um, uh, I have a sick sense of humor, so um, I do watch um, <laughs> uh, your shows like Big Mouth on Netflix, which is really horrible, but actually really smartly written and funny as well. It's just not good for kids. Uh, and <laughs> and um, recently I just got back on um, uh, Doom Patrol actually came back out. Uh, today. So if you haven't seen Doom Patrol, DC's um, live action isn't has not been that good, but their streaming platform live action has been pretty good. And Doom Patrol is one of the best things that I've seen them do um, on any of their platforms. So uh, if you get a chance, Doom Patrol, it's a, it's a pretty good show. All right. I have to check those out. All right, and final question, uh, since we both live in Brevard County, what, what are your favorite things about Brevard County, Florida? Ooh, um, all right, so Brevard County, Florida. So the zoo is definitely one, and, you know, that, amp that, that is so amplified because my daughter loves going there. She loves the animals. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, uh, I can't wait until we get to our new normal and, we, and we're past this virus so that we can get back out there. Uh, I think so the zoo opened up, didn't it? It did, but I still have people around me with compromised immune systems, so I I, oh, I, okay. I keep it pretty social distance. Um, so, um, uh, but I still support them in any and every way that I can. Uh, it's it's an absolutely fantastic place. Um, love the movie theaters here because uh, I am I am a big movie guy. Oh, and then just I'm a foodie, so like anywhere you can go to find different like food spots. Um, Jam Rock just reopened out in Palm Bay, which is is some great Jamaican food. Uh, El Ambia is a like you know, and you've lived in South Florida, and so you probably might you might be like me, like I get a little snobbish or picky when it relates to like. Cuban food or um, when I moved here from Texas and I was like, I'm so picky when it comes to Mexican food. Um, but, you know, I got to tell you, man, if you want some really great Cuban food, El Ambia is is fantastic. So, 
you know, I, I, I try to find the food places. Um, uh, but most of the time, man, like if I'm doing something, when you have a four-year-old, your life becomes like what she's interested in. And so we're usually, uh, if we're out in Bavar, we're hitting the zoo up or we're hitting up one of the parks, um, and, and just having a good time. Yeah. I'd say one thing with Brevard, I think our parks are outstanding. Of course, um, you know, for those who are not as familiar with Brevard, that's Cocoa Beach, Melbourne Beach, um, you know, a lot of beach areas over here. But uh, back to the zoo, at the end of the zoo, they've got that nature trail. And I go back there, I ride my bike because my office is just across the street from the zoo. And uh, which a lawyer being across from a zoo is kind of appropriate based on how my days go. It's kind of like a zoo <laughs> around there. But um, anyway, we have a lot of really good like nature trails for bike riding, jogging. I mean, people take their dogs out there. So even when we had the coronavirus social distancing, it really didn't affect me that much because we have so many parks and things that I'm able to go and do stuff and ride my bike and still socially distance. Whereas if I was in Miami, you know, that's a whole lot more difficult to do because you've got so many people in tight quarters with the condos. So I just think that's a real treasure that we have in Brevard. And I so, cannot wait for this aquarium, man. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm actually a part of the aquarium project. Uh, I think it's going to be absolutely, it's just, it's going to be a game changer for the county. So I cannot wait for the aquarium to be built and done. Uh, from what I've seen and from what I've heard, I truly think it's going to be like, it's going to be something like we haven't seen if you've gone to other aquariums. So I'm really excited for the county to get that here. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, that zoo is a nice thing. Well, David, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, a lot of good information uh, exchanged during the uh, episode. I, I really enjoyed a uh, getting your perspective on things and um, you know, the idea of diversity of thought is more important now than ever. And I, I hope our audience takes away that, you know, it's a good thing to listen to people, try to get other ideas. I mean, um, and try to work for the better of everybody. And so hopefully with uh, everything that's going on, that will be the end result when we come back uh, in the next year and see. That's right. So, and, and, I, and also, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I appreciate you having me on. If I could say one last thing, our website mm-hmm. will be back up and going. But um, and, and Ben, you know this. Uh, as of recently, I, I did pause for a little bit, and I was fundraising. I was working as a fundraiser for um, one of the nonprofits here. Um, however, uh, while that is back up and going, if you do want more information, you can email me at uh, djones at doti.us. Okay. Or if somebody just wants the information, um, it'll be on our website or you can just email me and I'll forward David's contact information along and we'll go from there. So, hey, well, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, you know, when we were planning this, we I said, David, it's going to take at least an hour, probably an hour and a half. And here we are a little over two hours, but that's all right. You know, <laughs> it's good. It seem like it was two hours. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Well, once again, um, Thanks so much for David Jones uh, for being on the show, giving his thoughts about diversity of thought and um, what we're dealing with in America as far as racial issues and uh, some plans to make things better. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show and uh, hope you continue to follow our podcast. Uh, The website again is www.benandrodney.com. So thanks a lot for taking the time to listen and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com. 
and follow us on Instagram at Ben Wilson Miami. 